Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Welcome, everybody, to This Week in Games, episode 175, the GDC episode, because none of us three are at GDC. Uh, Eric Suford is there. Eric Kress is kind of there. No, like, I you was could at GDC. There what any are you day. talking about, dude? Yeah, but, but what time it is right It's 9 o'clock. It's like 9 a.m., isn't it? Everyone, you should be there already. No, everyone's, <laughs> everyone's nursing their hangover, dude, because they're all out to like 3 in the morning last night with all these fucking I know. crypto parties, dude. Fuck. I, I've been hearing insane shit about these crypto parties. And listen, guys, I'm technically a crypto bro. Like, we already have a... We just recorded. We were talking. Like, I need an invite to these parties. So, so come, come at me. Uh, regarding, regarding parties, by the way, uh, Istanbul event, as we've said, so Deconstructor event on 31st, where Eric Kress will be there, Eric Suford will be there, uh, Chris Petrovic, Sophie Vo. Uh, you name it, everybody's there. So the capacity was only 500. It's uh, it's triple booked, so we can only take 500. The tickets have been issued. Uh, still, if you don't have a ticket and you really need one, and um, and you know, anyways, DM me. We'll we'll figure things out. Maybe not promising anything, uh, but I would still encourage everybody to register for the event. The link is in the description because through that you will be able to watch the rate. The live feed. We have some amazing talks. Um, just event is looking really cool. We actually already talked about it that that with Google that we will be doing this event uh, next year and bigger because uh, because so many signed up and we didn't really even promote this. So thanks everybody for for signing up. So next next year Adam is coming as well. He already promised. Uh, <laughs> promised nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and and final like like Wait. one thing that I noticed. In, hold on, Eric, Chris. This is really important. In Spotify, you're listening to this on Spotify. Everybody who's listening on this Spotify, there's this thing. There's this star thing. Apparently, if you just tap it, it gives us a star. If you could do that, that would be amazing. We're now at 4.8 stars. <laughs> so 
if we can get to 4.9, if you think that this is a good podcast, you're listening to this, you're having fun, all we ask is just find that button. It's on the top, like right below the image and just tap it on it once. And that's it. Please continue listening to the podcast on Spotify. Eric, Chris, you were saying something. I haven't even done that. No, yeah, I, I know. Either. I just noticed it. And I noticed that we are at 4.8 and we have like 50 reviews. I don't I'm like, know. wow. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how good this podcast is. Yeah. We'll see how good this episode is. Oh, first what a downer. Until I give it my star. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, why don't you why don't you let us let everybody down? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's start on a high note. Um, I, I do want to give a shout out to my old uh, bosses, Steve Chang and Sean Faust, as well as my old colleague, Calvin Lau. Um, they just um, announced funding for their startup Fortis. Um, it was raised by Las Vegas Sands. Um, this is just going to be a very, very powerful team. Um, I actually really enjoyed working with these guys. Incredibly candid um, discussions, especially on product strategy. Um, I, I think I'm sure they're going to do great things. So big shout out to them. Fortis. Um, what does Fortis do? Fortis. Games. It, Honestly, like publishing games, or, like, or development. I think it's they, they set it up as a publisher, but uh, they're going to be focusing on, it sounds like um, online multiplayer games. Um, they talked a lot about kind of like typical raising language of like the most social, the most um, uh, Does it have blockchain? Games, these sorts of things. No, it doesn't have blockchain. Thank uh, uh, God. I mean, I, 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 would, I would not rule that out, dude, honestly. <laughs> they, Sean has said... No NFTs. So no, I, I'm, I'm I can that. imagine Sean saying that, like, really kind of like eagerly. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see where, where everything evolves. But these, these guys could raise money regardless, right? They didn't need to add, sprinkle in some blockchain to make some money. <laughs> yeah. And I, so, I, I, so I think they're good. Sorry, I wanted to say one thing about these guys. So I actually met with Steve uh, a few months ago when he was trying to raise money for this thing and try to help them out in any way I could because. Because I, I think when we talk about consolidators like, uh, sorry, still front and embracer, it's like, you know, they come at, at it from a banking perspective and bringing in assets and putting them together in like some kind of quantitative way. Um, but what I think the difference here, and I think Steve is trying to do this, is that they're trying to do similar thing. But again, these guys are actually experts in managing video game companies and video game processes. So. This has, in my opinion, a far better chance of a success than something like Embracer and Stillfront um, over the long term. Having said that, I think their biggest challenge is that there's everything's been picked clean at this point, and I, and I keep talking to everybody at GDC about this. Is like it's a it, there is a certain level of zero sum game, right? There's just not that many people left, you know. When when people are getting five hundred thousand dollar offers, you know, for for engineers, like it's like. I don't know how you actually build gaming studios in this environment when there's so many people going after it. So I think that will be a big challenge and also finding you know teams. But these guys are super well connected. They've been in this business a long time. I'm sure they have a, a set of groups that they're already looking at. So I wish them the best um, um, and uh, excited to see what they do. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sony Interactive Entertainment is to acquire Haven Entertainment Studios. That was the big headline this week. So this is Jade Raymond's studio. Um, is now actually officially coming under the Sony umbrella. We were talking about them a long time ago. They worked for on an unannounced project for Stadia um, as first party, um, but then were sold off to Sony when Stadia first party collapsed. Um, it's noted that the title is a original AAA multiplayer game, uh, which is implying that this is not, you know, like an Assassin's Creed-like or a AAA single-player action-adventure game. Um, that I think we predicted uh, and, and assumed at this point. Um, this, to me, feels pretty out of Jade's wheelhouse. Um, but regardless, they are acquired and now working under Sony, uh, fully funded now. So they have plenty of runway to figure this out. You know, <laughs> just j- <laughs> I'll open it up to this, you. <laughs> this the whole Jade thing is very vexing to me. Okay, like we talked about this a year ago, right? A year ago, she. She got. She left uh, Google and started her, her own studio with the same group that was making the game for Google, right? And so what I said a year ago is still says the same thing. She has not made a game since 2013, and it was Splinter Cell. And she has not made a successful game since 2009, which was Assassin's Creed 2. I mean, that's like 13 years. You know, 13 years without a success, yet she's moving from one place to another. Um, and I... I, I, I <laughs> I mean, I wish her the best, but what, what doesn't make sense to me is that why is Sony hiring a team that has no track record in live services 
that is building a live services game to help drive their live services strategy, right? It's like, you know, like, is, I, I think it's very, very, very unlikely that they are successful in their first go or it's going to take them a long time and a lot of challenges because they just don't have the experience of doing that. And so I, it, it kind of just blows me away uh, that, 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 that this is like, this is like where they go for this. Um, but I, I guess, you know, sarcastically, I'm just going to say sarcastically because I don't know if I can <laughs> say this. Is like, I guess they all have Bungie to kind of help them navigate through the, the, the choppy waters of, 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 of software as a service. But anyway, I, I, you know, I, I hope she's successful, but I, I, I just don't understand exactly, you know, what the expectation is here, you know, to some degree. So why, why sarcastically about Bungie? Like, why couldn't Bungie help them? I mean, I'm just asking. Because there's no... F okay, I've been talking to people about this for okay. a while. There is no fucking way that Bungie is going to divert resources to help Jade Raymond's team or any other fucking team at Sony to build software as a service. Like, that is not happening. That is just not... It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. How many engineers, how many, like, designers, how many EP... Whoever. Like, they're not going to dedicate resources to fucking... To level up Sony, like this just doesn't it, it doesn't make any logical sense to me that that is going to be a thing. They're going to be fiercely independent, do their own thing, and 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 that's it. Maybe they'll have a few like Slack channel like you know like comments or something, but they're just not going to be dedicating resources. So that that's why I'm being sarcastic. Um, well, Bungie is doing a great lunch and learn at GDC. Right. <laughs> so all of Sony could so go to that where that, it talks about how, the how they learn how to build live services. That's, that's the extent of their learning, right? They could go to where everyone else could go publicly and then watch, watch them teach how to do it. And that, I'm sorry, I'm not suggesting that Bungie doesn't know what they're doing. I'm suggesting that they're just not willing to be do what's necessary to share it with the rest of the studio. That's what I'm suggesting. Yeah. So. Bungie's hiring pretty hard. I mean, on not not on the OF channel, but but just overall, like I've seen a lot of messages, and, I, and now that and that they're hiring a GDC, and that kind of reminded me. So last GDC where I went on site, well, when was that? Twenty nineteen was twenty nineteen the last one that was happening physically. Twenty twenty and twenty, yeah, exactly. So I remember when Epic was hiring at that point hard, and they um they rented out the full like San Francisco what's the what's the plane coin museum or the the coin like the the big like a uh, neoclassical building um just in the downtown and that was like the full epic recruitment center so you had to go into this like almost looking like municipal center uh, and they had like a, I don't know I just got an invite so I had to go I had to just talk to people <laughs> And um, it was crazy. I, I feel like, like you're real. I feel like you're really missing GDC right now. Yeah. You're like, oh I, man, kinda, kinda, all I, of I, these boondoggles it, that it, are it happening, like, and I'm not there. But that was the craziest <laughs> recruitment um, recruitment place I've ever been. I remember going into this room that was like gigantic from like 1800s, or whatever. And there was this one guy who was from Texas. I remember because he had a Texas uh, <laughs> sticker on his Mac, and they were basically saying like, "Hey, welcome to Epic. What do you want to do?" <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it was amazing. I was like, "We have money. Here you go." Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I, 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 I told him like I actually didn't know that there was this was an interview. I thought you guys wanted to just chat, and they were just basically hiring everybody. That that was in 2019. So good times. I hope I hope Bungie's doing something similar. Uh, other than the uh, lunch and learn, <laughs> I, I don't know if they're just hiring anybody off the street. That was that was what Epic was doing, but now they can. Wow. I mean, they're fully resourced and they're growing big, and it's already a big studio. Yeah, so yeah. why not? But I guess to, to, for for Eric's point, right? Like the the amount of effort um, on an ongoing basis that has to happen in order to train a studio to be effective at live services, and still how those those studios can fall down um, and have to learn from those mistakes over you know a number of games is the reality of of many of these teams. So um, nothing against Jade Raymond, right? It's just it takes a long time for premium developers to figure out how to do this. So. Even just asking, you know, single people at Bungie to kind of share their knowledge while they're still trying to live operate Destiny is just going to be infeasible. It's just, it's not going to be an overnight switch. It's not even going to be, you know, one or two years. It's going to take a long ass yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's actually my point. It's going to take a long time. It may happen yeah. eventually, but, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll be retired in like an old folks home by the time that happens, you know, so. I like. Wait, you're I like, not. Oh, I th I thought you were retired now. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that in the in the notes for this particular subject that was said like how, <laughs> like you made the reference for me like I was laughing because like 
because <laughs> he was just saying like how is she moving from all these great companies from one another it's like without shipping and he said like that's like mishka <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the notes <laughs> and and to to be fair on the on on like on the uh on the external side you're absolutely right but i've placed a lot of games in soft launch they just never passed it so i'm kind of shipping uh but uh but yes that was a fair comparison so thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> mishka you kind of missed the context of that but yeah. yeah, I was just laughing. I was just looking through the notes. <laughs> yeah, that was mean. I apologize ahead of time, or I apologize. No, no, I actually I laughed. It was it was really good. It was really good. It was. <laughs> but okay, let's talk about okay, moving on. Moving yeah, on. moving on. Moving yeah, on. Yeah. Let's talk about our boy J.K. So Joseph Kim, his company Leela Games has raised ten million round for free to play mobile game studio in India. Shout out to JK. I've been following his Instagram. He's out there. I, I've been just actually just texting him like, dude, please stay alive because he's posting these Instagram pics where he's riding these rickshaws and he's like riding behind somebody's <laughs> scooter. And I don't know, guys, if you, like, I don't know where he is. He's in like, he's not in Bangalore with something with a B, uh, but no, I I mean, was, the traffic I, looks insane. Dude, I did a panel with him on Monday night at, at the mm -hmm. F Annie event. And, uh, and him and I are just completely aligned on everything. It was actually a relatively uneventful, like, there was no discussion or debate. He even, like, <laughs> talked a little bit of trash about ARK Investments. <laughs> so, I don't know. It was, it was good to see him, though. Uh, he's as yeah. mellow as ever. He's doing fine. He's doing fine. And yeah, th th this is a, a great raise. This was also done by uh, Crafton, right? Was it actually, like, Crafton themselves? Uh, yeah. I think Crafton India invested something into it. Uh, there was Bitcraft who and Galaxy, which were his previous yeah. investors, and I think there was somebody else, somebody from from um, from SF, not maybe Sequoia, maybe somebody else. I, I kind of forgot. Sorry, J.K. about that, but nevertheless, uh, congratulations for the raise. And I think he was saying that he's gonna move to India or at least spend significant amount of time in India. Like I have to ask how he handles that because he has three kids and a wife and everything in, in SF. But anyways, uh, kudos to him. And hopefully, um, you know, they, they get to build the team and they're clearly building a new studio and it's rocking and, and you know, all the best. Uh, the uh, next I got one other update. Yeah. Go um, ahead. CD Projekt. Oh, Did sorry about that. News? Oh, right. Yeah, CD Projekt has now confirmed that um, they're going to be working on the next Witcher game. Mm -hmm. Um, because of course, <laughs> I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. Um, but yeah, all I can say is I hope they pick up from the ashes of cyberpunk and focus on just creating a great, uh, Witcher game. Um, let's not inflate expectations. This one <laughs> of like a 20 million soul GTA online service. This is going to be a great Witcher game. Go uh, ahead. This is, this is kind of a big deal in a, in a way, because first of all, like, Aren't they making the same mistake that they made before, like announcing this game so freaking early when they literally had said it? I think they actually said that they are barely starting it, right? Um, so, I mean, this could be. But Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk's announcement was like E3, like on the main stage. Okay. Here comes the logo. Okay, so, Holy shit! This all right, thing. So your your is point coming, is this right? is a more of a yeah. subtle announcement. But but the bigger issue here yeah. is that they are moving on from their uh, engine that was really broken on console. Um, that caused all, a lot of the issues that they were having to Unreal 5. And so from a technical perspective, and I, I, as I've said many times, I am not a game developer, so I don't really quite understand how this all shit works. But like, I mean, isn't that like a Herculean task to move from an engine they've been using for the last like 20 years <laughs> to Unreal and rebuilding all the tools and technology and getting all the assets and all the other things that require? And so I've been asking around about that and I'm kind of getting mixed a sense here, but it does add layers of complexity. And the second thing that I'm kind of trying to understand is like, if you have these two engines, right, they're mutually exclusive. So if you have teams that are working on supporting the old games and the old engine, they are dedicated to that. And then you have to actually reallocate resources to the new engine to build the tools and technology and, and transfer things over and start actually building a game. And, and doing that and building a game at the same time seems relatively Herculean, right? And so some people are saying, oh no, no big deal, it's Unreal, there's lots of tools out there and like it's, it's a really well-known engine. Of course, Unreal 5 is still in beta, by the way, just to be clear. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is that, um, uh, uh, I forgot the second thing, what's the second thing? Um, oh, but on the, on the other hand, 
this game. Oh yeah. The other, the other hand, this this game's not coming out until 2029. <laughs> that's like, the, that's like the, the gamut of like it's three years and and ten years type thing. You know, it's like it, it's pretty 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 wide. So what do you think, Mr. Adam? I just wanted to get your kind of expert opinion. So it's it's Unreal Five then, eh? Do you know what? Yeah. what did they just have a proprietary engine before, or what was? Oh, there's a proprietary before? engine, right? So it's hmm. home yeah. built, completely yeah. like you know, put together with tape and and straw and that type of thing over the years, you know. Like that's all engines are, you know. After all this time, <laughs> well, clearly, clearly, very PC focused. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was PC amazing on PC. Like, I, yeah. I don't, I'm not, yeah. I'm not yeah. throwing, I'm throw, not throwing. Like, it was amazing PC engine. It just was terrible on consoles, right? I mean, it just, yeah. I think it was a memory thing or something like that. I can't remember. But like at the end of the day, it's you know, yeah. So I don't know. What do you think? It, it just, it just freezes your resources, right? Like your tech team is going to be so focused on building all the tools, rebuilding from scratch all those tools. Like, yes, Unreal gives a lot of that stuff out of the box, but all the stuff that they need to build for a RPG game, a single-player RPG game, is substantial for world-building, for quests, for all of this stuff, to even just build up to a point that they have a sandbox that designers can do something in the game, right? So during that time, you're going to have designers and artists and all that kind of stuff, not necessarily sitting on their hands, but working in theory instead of in practice in the engine. Versus before, where... When you when you kind of jump from game to game, keeping on that same engine, keeping on that same thing, you can you know leverage a lot of the tech and tools that you had before, and you give those designers and artists, technical artists, like a, a sandbox to play in almost immediately. You can get stuff playing on the screen. Um, so yeah, whenever you change engines, engines especially substantially, like not even just like Unreal Four to Unreal Five, but now we're talking like proprietary to Unreal Five. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a substantial amount of work. So. Yeah, I, yeah, this is going to be a long, that, pro- long project. For yeah, me. that's kind of my instinct. And then, and then the other thing that's always like the death knell of of development um, process is like while you're building the engine while building the game, right? So like you're building the tools and technologies while you're building the game. So it creates lots of reworks and all this other shit that you have to do that makes it really hard. So let's do an over under, and then we'll move on from this conversation. So uh, over under twenty twenty eight. Wow. Okay. So you're saying it's not going to come out until over 2020. That's. I think it'll be 2028. I think it'll be 2020. All right. I'll take the over because I'm I'm okay. that negative. All right. Moving on. <laughs> so that will be five years. Yeah. Yeah. And by that time, the stock the stock will be like five bucks. <laughs> yeah, because you, you can't survive without releasing a game for five years. You know. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Poland. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> All right. Okay, so forever raises a forever, meaning FRVR. By the way, not the greatest name for for a company that doesn't do VR. Anyways, forever raises uh, $76 million to expand casual games platform. The company's catalog of HTML games can be played from a browser and on mobile. The platform has reached 1.5 billion players since launch, the announcement said. Now, Adam, didn't you try to make HTML games back in the days? Like, this could be you. Yeah, yeah. So, well, no. Uh, FRVR <laughs> was there well before even we did, right? Yeah. Like, they they had the tech. The interesting thing um, when, we, when we chatted with them was, like, we're talking about, like, Facebook instant games, WhatsApp games. Um, we were using, like, Cocos 2D for HTML5 stuff because we weren't, engine developers we just wanted to make fun mm-hmm. games and see if we could spin something up on facebook instant frvr did the right thing which is they built a proprietary engine which absolutely optimized for load time so as soon as html5 kicked in you got that link to that game it would load up in milliseconds even on low-end devices um and that that really drove a lot of their success at least in my opinion um they were the the top games on facebook instant right they made a successful business when most companies, including myself, were not successful. So if you were at, like, I think we've talked about them before. If you are going to invest in instant games and believing in a post app store world, FRVR is a great company to do it. Um, so, you know, whether whether it's worth 76 million and 1.5 billion valuation or sorry, what, what's, the, what's the actual valuation? I don't, they didn't mention the actual valuation, but I'm sure everybody's oh, worth oh. a billion. <laughs> that's, that's the easy part. <laughs> um, but yes, if you're going to invest in instant games, uh, FRVR is a good company to do it. Yeah. 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 It's a, again, bad name for a, for a company that makes instant games to be called FRV. Well, it's fervor. 
<laughs> great company yeah. maybe maybe a name change just just throwing it out there you don't have to do it but if you make instant don't call let's go on to the best let's go to the greatest name oh my god board okay. ape yacht so club board <laughs> ape yacht club creator raises 450 million dollars to build an nft metaverse what else would you expect <laughs> so yoga labs the owner of the three of the biggest NFT brands on the market has raised 450 million in funding at a 4 billion valuation. The company announced today that the team behind Board 8 Yacht Club plans to use the money to build media empire around NFTs, starting with games and its own metaverse project. Now, I could talk a lot about this, and I actually have. It's in the tokenomics episode that will be airing probably aired before this one. So we, Ethan and Anton and I actually discussed this. Um, it's craziness. Like, uh, they, did you know that, that Board Ape Yacht Club actually released a game before? It was called Apes versus Mutants. And to my research, do you know how many players that game got over the lifetime? Because this is the biggest brand, so everybody knows Board Ape Yacht Club. A million. 30,000. <laughs> no. Actually, I did hear that. I guess I, I won that one. Yeah. <laughs> so if I would ship a game that would have 30,000 players, you would kill me, <laughs> like over the lifetime. And um, you wouldn't give me 450 million to build a metaverse being like, you know what? This looks great. <laughs> let's, let's build more around this. So anyways, but, but nevertheless. What is this game? Like what, on, what are, on the positive side, like, like essentially they are, you know, on, on the... Actually, I don't want to go deeper. Like you can recent re listen to the tokenomics episode. We talk about their pitch deck. Uh, I don't know. Like the pitch deck was most outrageous thing I've ever read. Like it was tongue in cheek. It was like we don't give a fuck because we're gonna raise gazillion dollars on whatever we put in. So uh, we're gonna talk about we we talked about that in the tokenomics episode. So please listen to that if you're interested in how to raise four hundred fifty million dollars on JPEGs of with apes. Um, should we talk about uh, if yeah. I had four hundred million dollars, four hundred fifty million dollars, mm -hmm. I would just go out and try to find a good MMO studio to do this. Adam, <laughs> I the, could like not you, trust myself. There were concepts yeah. in that pitch deck, and the, uh, the the extent of the MMO is is, I mean, it's essentially land sales. Like they make same type of JPEGs with now land plots, and then there's the uh, the new type of a character that could be in those land plots and there's like about hundred thousand of those and it's it's just it's it's a crypto bro crypto sys auction place uh with but i would just say like a, a studio that has at least experience with managing the macroeconomics of an mmo that. you don't need that just jpegs dude just jpegs <laughs> no no <laughs> i i think i think you do need that and i would go out and try to find that talent. i think if, if I, you raise this much money Go find the talent that is at least, I, you know, had the battle scars of running in MMO. This company, Adam, this company has 46 employees and two presidents. Two presidents. Not CEOs. No, 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 like, two presidents. I, I, have, they, I have no <laughs> idea. Like, I'm aware of, of like the, the craziness of the crypto bros yeah. of this thing, but I just would not be that naive that I could assume that I could walk into an MMO world and dominate, even with the leverage that they have around mm -hmm. these avatars. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm sure they will do great. I, I think that this their MMO will will make gazillion dollars, and uh, and they're going to be super successful. And it's absolutely non-repeatable. That's the most important part. This is the lightning in the bottle. Uh, and then final update: Fortnite raises 36 million dollars for Ukraine in a single day. Just a shout out of good stuff from Eric Kress. Oh, is it my turn? Uh, okay, it's your turn. All right, GDC update. Uh, first of all. Uh, Thank you guys all for the support and enthusiasm. It was quite humbling that, uh, you know, everyone was relatively nice and supportive. Uh, so you have to understand, like, this is like the first time, like, I've been out at a conference since we started the podcast. So, you know, and it's been over two years. And what I quickly realized is that I've been actually screaming in this microphone for two years, speaking my <laughs> nonsense, right, without any type of direct feedback, right, over all this time, right? And then... Sitting in front of like 60 people at the App Annie event, it was a little fucking intimidating, you know? It's kind of like when you're driving your car and someone cuts you off and you start cursing at them and conking your horn <laughs> and shit and you're just super bold, right? And then all of a sudden, like a few blocks later, you're at the stop sign and this guy is right next to you, right? And he's like a 300-pound fucking wrestler, you know? And you're just like slinking down in your chair. That's kind of how I felt on stage at the App Annie event. Um, 
But uh, nonetheless, uh, it all went relatively well. I mean, there was some positives and there was some negatives. So I think I'll focus on the negatives first. Um, the first one was <laughs> this guy at Appani introduced himself to me and he's like, yeah, you know, I do casual games. I do hyper casual games. And I know you hate hyper casual games, <laughs> but <laughs> I know all I do is vice nuts, but my name is this. And I'm like, I felt pretty bad. And I tried to backpedal. I'm like, hey, no, no, no. You do solitaire. You're good, man. I like that. I just don't like the voodoo stuff, you know, like that. But anyway, so, uh, yeah. And then like right next to him is the voodoo yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly. like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second experience was a little bit annoying. I wasn't going to share this because I feel really guilty about it to some degree. But, I'm, but you know, I'm going to do it anyway, right? Um, so just to be clear here, if you have an MBA from Harvard and you've worked at McKenzie, that does not give you the license to have an opinion on everything, okay? I, that, that's like, that, that is the fundamental point that I want to get across, right? And, and I should probably leave it at that, but I'm not, right? Is that, I don't mind, you can have an opinion, but when we're discussing things that happened when you were in middle school, you know, let the adults talk, okay? And, 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 and shut the fuck up, right? I, 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 it's quite annoying, right? That, that, that the opinions of people that just don't, just have no experience whatsoever. And I think McKenzie, Bain, investment bankers all breed this kind of like, you know, insane levels of, of ego that, that, that they can come in and make judgments on things they can't possibly understand or have any experience to understand. All right. On a side note along these lines is I am hearing very scary, scary things about EA these days is that uh, the strategy group is getting inundated with McKenzie and Bain people. Um, and these people are like fungus, dude. You know, you get them in and they multiply in the organization, right? And they create absolute chaos, right? Because they don't know what they're doing when it comes to this sort of thing. Anyway, and so what they do is they hire these guys in the senior levels and they like, they need to surround themselves with like-minded people that they can marvel at their fucking pedigrees and 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 spout this fucking industrial psych jargon bullshit with each other so they can feel good about themselves. But they, it is a potential disaster for EA to be having like these legions of people. Typically, you know, like Laura Mielli, who's one that's been doing strategy for a long time, like she's an OG, man. She came from Westwood, right? And so she's always hired people that were gamers, as far as I can tell. And so if that's changing, I, I worry for the future of EA. And I think it's my duty to, to a point to uh, just talk about this and make sure that this doesn't happen. None of this like, you know, spread of the fungus, all right? Okay, anyway, so, you know, most of the part, so that was the negative, <laughs> but for the most part, everything was, was really, really positive and everyone was super nice. Like this, this woman from Big Fish was like super sweet. Like she's, she's, she's a fan, I guess. Um, that was really nice to hear from her. But out of all the people that talked to me, like, over a dozen, right? Um, more than half of them basically said the same thing, right? This actually, this one guy from Novik, who's obviously brilliant, the, the guy must be Spectrum, dude. He was like in his in his own world. But anyway, he said it the best. And I'm not going to really replicate how he said it. But what 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 they really like is that that they 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 love the fact that I express my views that are against the current narrative from the companies and from the press, right? So that I have an alternative narrative that that brings up the discussion or keeps discussion. And so they are, ex what they say is they were exhausted at having to listen to the same type of bullshit over and over again, both at the companies as well as in the press. And it's good to have someone out there that's actually just calling shit out, right? And so I think this is more indicative of what's going on in the broader world, right? Whether it's politics or whatever, right? But yeah. in, this, in, this, in this narrow, like in, in this one lane, you know, of gaming, I could do that without getting canceled, I suppose. But I probably will get canceled ultimately. But <laughs> I, but I said I promised everyone that I talked to that I was going to stay in this pocket. I was, I'm not going to go down the Ukraine road like Mr. Mishka, uh, or start talking about other political issues or freaking the death penalty or religion. Right? We are going to focus on games. I'm going to stay in the pocket and keep like giving alternative views about what's going on there, and 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 feel valued out there. So. Anyway. So, so congratulations, this consultant from Navic. You have now just emboldened Eric to become more of an asshole for the next few years. Basically. <laughs> him, him as well as the rest of the people that were saying the, basically the same thing. Yes, yes. I'm, uh, I am I'm definitely emboldened.
and I, I and, and more importantly, I feel like I'm adding value, right, for the first time mm-hmm. in my life, right? So, you know, it's good. Um, I'm I'm scared what will happen after next week because <laughs> you you're like if you are now in front of 60 people, you'll be in front of 500 next week. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just let, people let us, are kind of like half worshiping you, so, so and you travel on the other side of the world, right, I'm a, I, in front I, of this giant audience. I'm gonna disappear into the uh, into the mountains of uh, of Turkey or something. <laughs> All right. Um, but, oh, a couple of clarifications though, just to be clear, because I get these comments. I got a lot of comments for things. First of all, I don't hate Ethan. Actually, I don't hate Ethan at all. He may hate me. I don't know. But we are totally no, kidding around about about this crypto stuff, right? Just generally speaking. Um, the second thing is, yes, Mishka talks way too much and really talks off topic constantly, right? We try to rein him in, but it's impossible, right? He's a he's a he's a force to be a force of nature, right? He's a, it's impossible to rein him in, but uh, we keep trying. Um, and then finally, yeah, yes, Eric Seifert does look like a child molester with that 80s mustache. What? And uh, we've had numerous requests for him to remove it, but he will not. Um, he lost his bet and he's keeping it on just to annoy everybody, his wife, his family and the people in the podcast. So those are those are the clarifications. But keep the feedback coming. And uh, and anyway, uh, moving on. Oh, updates. All right. OK, quick updates. One, EA Play is skipping uh, their live event in 2022. So this is a really simple update. They have fuck all the show, so they're not doing it, right? <laughs> so let's wait till next year and they'll be back. I don't think this is any like indication of E3 not happening or people doing events around that time frame. It's just the fact that he has nothing to show. They have no games this year and, and that's it, right? So, so don't worry about it. I, E3 will be back in some capacity or promotions around E3 will be back. Um, that was my one update. Oh, and that's it. Right? That's it. That's okay. it. And then we're going to then, talk about Apex Legends afterwards. Okay, folks, let's take a little break from the conversation. Talk about your post IDFA cross-platform strategy. More specifically, how you're going to monetize that sweet console and PC audience of yours. Well, here's where Player One comes to the picture, providing a huge revenue opportunity for developers and publishers. In fact, it's the only engagement and monetization platform designed to reward free-to-play console and PC gamers. Now I know what you're thinking. Players don't want to watch ads on console and PC. Well, that's actually not true. According to extensive surveys with players who are playing the most popular AAA free-to-play games, Player One found an overwhelming desire, 77% to be accurate, by gamers to have an option to earn free in-game content in exchange for watching 15 to 30 second advertisements. Now, the second thing you're thinking about is that you don't want to show other games to your console and PC players. Well, Player One got you covered once again. Firstly, the platform lets gamers decide if they want to watch TV quality brand sponsored videos inside their favorite titles in exchange for cool in-game items and awesome content. Secondly, as I said, Player One's inventory is purely of TV quality brand sponsored videos, so you won't have to worry about churn or build segmentation profiles. Plus, given the fact that the majority of free-to-play players on PC and console never actually spend any money in the live service area of those games, Player One is providing a way for developers and publishers alike to help their loyal players to get access to all the additional content that's being created while maintaining their games economies. Player One is fully optional for players and completely respectful of game flow. And for developers, Player One has been proven to drive retention, lifetime value, and additional revenue, all while maintaining monthly active users and reducing churn. Everybody wins with Player One. Gamers unlock immediate rewards. Developers enhance the playing experience and generate passive revenue. And brands connect meaningfully with the most passionate audience in media. Visit playerwon.com to see how it works in practice or Get, go to the link in this podcast description below. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, uh, so I have, there was n- not a lot of news, naturally, because everybody's at GDC. Um, not everybody, but half of the people are at GDC. So I wanted to bring back the topic that I casually, quickly mentioned in the updates of last week. I just I think we talked about Lightforge games, and I was just take, making a remark of them being fully remote and just said a couple of notes. And that created conversations on the... Um, on the DOF Slack channel, 
people are apparently very opinionated about this. And then, then of course, when people are having conversations, I tend to start writing. So I wrote a, I wrote a newsletter piece. Uh, a few thousand of you have already read it. So if you're not, by the way, subscribed to DOF newsletter, please do. Um, there's a lot of cool content. Anyway, so what I wrote was I wrote about the benefits and some of the challenges with it. And of course, with benefits, when it comes to fully remote is ability to recruit people from multiple locations, um, you know, being just very employee friendly because there's no commuting. Uh, it's cost effective because you don't have to have your your office. Uh, you don't also have to hire the people from the uh, if you happen to be in a gaming hub, you don't have to hire the people from the uh, from the most expensive locations. Um, you know, not to mention that remote work can be quite productive when you're left alone like Adam Telfer silently in his lodge in ter- next to Toronto he's just extremely effectively working uh, unlike he would be in the uh, the party town of LA but there are also some problems when it comes to it first of all there's a challenge in communication that's that's real i've i've been talking to a lot of CEOs who have been not see, not only CEOs but a lot of people who have been running companies before uh, before COVID and during COVID and during the lockdowns and what what was what one particular person mentioned uh, was that he feels like he's being um, a diplomat constantly in between people who are who are having um, some kind of misunderstanding and that in my opinion really leads from a fact that a written word from an avatar is really not the same thing as a, than a discussion face to face and because there's this lack of human interaction it easily leads to all kinds of loss of nuance and people arguing and, and that escalates so so the need for communication is actually much larger in a, in a fully remote setup. Uh, number two uh, you're missing from those ad hoc conversations between coworkers. You're having lunch, you're having coffee, you start talking. Some people might say you're you're wasting time, but sometimes good ideas come from that, and those are really important. The uh, the they are the the coffee machine, water cooler talks. Um, then something that I've been hearing, I don't know if this is fact or not. So curious to hear if there's any kind of study around this, but lack of loyalty. And this is actually Joshua Wilson mentioned this in, in the last podcast that we did uh, from, from SciPlay, uh, CEO of SciPlay. And um, lack of loyalty in the sense that you're joining a company, you're at home and you might as well join any company as long as the pay is good and the project is interesting and, and you're working reasonable hours and, and people are respecting your 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 uh, work life balance and, and things are good. Like like you can you can just change a company because you don't have any any kind of attachment to it. Of course, if it's a great brand for that company, then then perhaps. But in the end, it's it's about the money and the project. So um, that may, in my opinion, as well, lead to uh, lack of loyalty long term. Because when you're working with certain people, you you build relationships. You don't want to leave. You you're having fun time. You're you're enjoying uh, their company. You're 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 building friendships and and that and. That that's a strong thing. Uh, something that I uh, another challenging part. Something that I have noticed is the tax and legal nightmares, uh, especially with the uh, with the current crisis going on in in, in uh, not crisis a war going on in Ukraine. Uh, we got the Belarus. Like of course, we as a company, my company uses uh, use people who worked in Ukraine, worked in Belarus. Those are hotbeds for for game development. Um, extremely challenging, uh, but but also with with the Belarusian studios right now. With the uh, with Swift disappearing and, and all the payments even before that, it was just challenging. And when you have people in a lot of different countries, in U.S., it's different. Everybody's in the same country, so it's easy to hire people around it. But in Europe, it's it's much harder. You have different legislations, different tax codes. Uh, it's expensive. It's 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 a lot of work. Um, then remote work also mentioned something that it, that it can burn people. Um, it's you don't essentially have a break. Uh, you're constantly working. You're at your workplace, and finally, something that that I personally think is very challenging is building an engaging and outstanding company culture in a fully remote setup. Uh, I I don't know how to do that. I don't know how how companies do that. Uh, I understand how they're being extremely efficient, and those are the values, and how they appreciate everybody's work life balance and 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 things like that. But that's not you know culture per se. It's a uh, it's it's a it, anyways. Um, I wanted to mention a couple of things that that again were were came after this uh, this this newsletter. So uh, one part, what Dylan mentioned uh, from Dylan from Crazy Lab mentioned that um, the first visible impact of remote work will be the death of many studios who aren't located 
in game dev hubs. Smaller studios outside the hubs have relied on underpaying their talent. That is coming to an end with the remote work that democratizes the salary. So I think this is an interesting notion, and I think uh, this this could be true now that that developers everywhere have more, have more opera before. Uh, people mentioned that remote jobs will continue, but they will likely see some salary limit on remote jobs due to international arbitrage. Highest paying jobs will likely be on site, was I, was I mentioned. Uh, some of the ultra bullish people, uh, some, of the, some of the people on the Slack channel are extremely bullish on, on remote work. Uh, one person wrote that after spending the last two years working on a plus 100 people dev team in full remote, it's actually made me think that non-remote work is the thing that is more likely to go out of style. Though I have to mention this particular person who was extremely bullish on it was working on a top grossing title, uh, but this title is almost a decade old. So I understand that in 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 a in a team that is operating like a like a train essentially, like they've been running it for such a long time, it's probably easier to get into it than a team that is a little bit new or is working on a new game. And then finally. There was a good point in that on-site is important for juniors who are the hardest to fit into remote work. Uh, In-person mentorship observation adds much to the growth and it's harder to replace remotely. Now, to finalize this, I want to give a shout out to Annette Steloy from DirtyBit. Uh, she summarized this extremely well, uh, this, this whole topic that I was trying to cover uh, when she was giving me feedback on, on my newsletter draft. And, and what I'm kind of paraphrasing, but she said, she's basically said that people who are not in management position very often lack the ability to see the challenges with remote working and overfocus on the advantages of working from home brings to them on an individual level. It seems very easy to focus on what works best for me, not what works best for my team, the project, the company. While, the, while in a management position, it seems to be easier to see the challenges related to a company culture, lack of communication, or even miscommunication that may lead to frustration and overall performance. So I, I wanted to cover this topic because this is something that I've, I've noticed has been extremely challenging, trying to figure out not how to work remotely, but how to build a, how to how to keep people happy when, when not in when in a fully remote setup. And, and our company is, is a hybrid with, with two studios. So what I've noticed is that when we get together, when people get together in each of the studio, they like spending time together. You get, you get a good feeling. You know, you leave the, the day happier. And, and when everybody gets in into one location, people don't even want to leave the studio. They're there. You know, I'm leaving early. So there, there are merits to being on site. There are merits to being hybrid. And, and I think we're kind of over overemphasizing the remote work as this is the new thing. But in the long run, I think this will be more of, um, of curiosity and something that is uh, left for studios that don't have as much prestige that they could request people to work on site. Uh, and, and most of the people, most of the studios will be, most of the, most of the prestigious studios will be working in a hybrid setup with specialists um, in remote location or, or, or people who don't need to be on site uh, possibly in remote location. Adam, you're working remotely. Like, what do you... Uh, yeah, obviously I'm very biased here, right? Like I have a very vested interest in staying remote for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, like I, at the beginning of the pandemic, I moved back to Canada to be close to family and intend, like bought a house and I intend to stay here. Um, it would be really unfortunate if I get to a situation where um, I can't continue to, to have an impact on the industry because people don't want remote work right yeah um so yeah i have a vested interest in keeping remote work effective right so what i do is um i think as we transition to kind of more of a state of normalcy with with office work right i have to go out of my way to make sure that i'm traveling as often as i can to build up the relationships um that i need right because i um as much as i'm a huge proponent of remote work um i think there is still a lot to be gained by seeing people in person, right? And being right there um, um, and building up the relationships that you can't have over a Zoom chat. Um, but at least in the position that I'm in, which is not the majority of the gaming industry, where like my boss works in San Francisco, I'm based in LA, I work with studios all the way around the world. Yeah. It doesn't make sense for my role to be in LA. Like it, does, it doesn't really give me much of an advantage. If you're working on a new game, right, and you've never worked with the people that you've worked with before, 
that's a scary proposition to put together a remote team. In order to do that, you, you know you'll be less effective, you'll be iterating um, uh, at, a, at a disadvantage, right? Um, and you have to over-communicate. And I think in those situations, you're more likely to, to at least lean back towards you know, maximum of a hybrid work environment, make sure everybody's within the same time zones, all this type of thing. Um, I guess like it's it's difficult for me to say like you you put together like a good list of like the pros and cons which I think are are obvious to everybody who's worked remotely for the last two years and we'll see how much you know people go into the office and do a hybrid environment but it's difficult to say like are, are you saying that remote work will no longer be or are you saying no. that that no like it, it my sense is that for new game teams you probably should be going with hybrid if not fully on site. If you're talking about live game teams with established practices, then you can go to a more remote style. I think that yeah. can be effective. To be and clear. Then, and as new new game studios, you know, being remote can be one thing that you use to kind of get the best talent. Because for me, when I'm making decisions about talent, I'm much more likely to say, you know, I don't care where you live. I want the best talent. Because even if I only get you, you know, working 70% effectively because you're remote, I'd rather have the smartest person at 70% than somebody that I have to be actively training yeah, um, yeah. at 100%. To be clear, I wasn't, I was, like, I, I didn't try to make up, like, it's weird. Everybody wants to make a point, like, this works and this sucks. I wasn't trying to make yeah. that type of point. I was making a point. At the moment, everybody considers that remote work is the only way forward, and you're not almost even allowed to talk about the problems of remote work and the challenges of no. remote work. And I was just trying to say that, that there are a lot of challenges that we don't, we're not talking about, and that in the long run, there will be hybrid. But with this remote work, I think it's great that, A, we can do hybrid now because everybody understands how to, how to work remotely more effectively. And B, we're much more okay with having specialists or people who don't need that much face time being located in different, if, in different places. Like this, this person is really good and we're fine with that person just traveling maybe once a week or every second week here. That's good enough. We don't need him or her here all the time. And I think that's a great, great element that, that has changed uh, when it comes to, to recruiting. Like, you don't have to relocate. But on the long run, I think hybrid is, 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 the, um, is the... I think the, my favorite thing of all of this remote work has been the amount of bullshit meetings that I've been in. Um, and I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but mm -hmm. like we're, everybody's in bullshit meetings of course, all the time. That's true. And being able to just... Li it's like listening to a podcast. You just put the meeting on in the background. You listen through it. I'm ripping through so many more emails. I'm getting through way better communication because of this stuff, right? Um, and with hybrid work, look, I'm 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 looking forward to being able to like fly down yeah. to the states and go to a meeting and see people in person. Um, but then having like a condensed time of now is the time that we actually want to work effectively and look at each other. And then when I go back, I'm going to be able to work on the decks, work on the yeah. communications, figure out ways to get alignment. Um, and also, uh, there's been a lot more focus on do we actually need to meet about this or can we just you know hash this out on a document hash exactly. this out in an email right like so many so much time is wasted that now we we figured out how to do it asynchronously and it's so much more effective yeah and i, I love the fact that now when you're seeing somebody when you actually travel on site you can focus on relationship building like i'm here yeah. to build a relationship i don't need to try to get all these things done because i can do it on my flight here and there, yeah. and I, I have like a full Now is the time tomorrow. that we're gonna drink beer exactly. and just like chat shit about the exactly. industry. Exactly, exactly. I don't care if it's 8 a.m., exactly. it's done, <laughs> so, right? We're so, gonna do this. <laughs> so it makes the on-site even better, and like, you know, even in my case, when I go to the, the studio a couple times a week, like, I don't expect to be as effective as I am at home, but nevertheless, I find it extremely useful that we have lunches together, that we'd sit down and, and people talk to me about something that wasn't on my calendar. And I, you know, I noticed that I'm missing on my, my things that I was supposed to do. But nevertheless, I'm having a very important conversations uh, with, with people. Not, you know, not important, but important for for folks. Yep. Anyway, I'm not going to ask Chris. He, uh, like, it's so long. It's like three decades since he le worked last time. Yeah. <laughs> you're, no, muted you're muted also. Here. You're muted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, also, there was, there was way too many words. I, I can't even, I didn't even follow the conversation, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I did hear one guy flippantly say something along the lines of, like, once we go through one cycle of promotions, then everyone's going to start working from office again. <laughs> it's like, I, that's what I kind of think. But, but what, what the fuck do I know, dude? I don't know anything. 
I, 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 I personally, I, I couldn't stand it. I would love to work in an office again. I'm, I'm going to go back to Warner as soon as I can, right? One day a week. <laughs> anyway, all right. Um, EA Mobile. Okay, so EA uh, released Apex Mobile in beta. Uh, it's open to pre-registration on the Google Play Store, but it's not on the iOS Store. And this is what I found out about the iOS Store. I, I, I am blown the fuck away, right? Is that you cannot do pre-registration on iOS more than 60 days before because of some technical glitch on their system? Is Apple really that clueless, right? Like, don't they have engineers that they can fix this? I mean, there, there must be another reason besides some technical problem, but it just continues to amaze me about how little Apple cares about publishers. It is like blows me away that this can't be fixed. And this has been going on for years, evidently. How I didn't know this is another thing that I should, I should have known. But anyway, all right. Apex Legend is a huge deal for EA, really, this year, because for the most part, they have fuck all, right? They have no games coming out this year except for their traditional games that they release every year. Um, so this game is important for them to do well. Um, and from what I can gather from you know coverage on YouTube, the YouTube and stuff, is that uh, the game looks phenomenal, right? It looks like they've been able to replicate the visuals pretty well on mobile, um, and the frame rates look really solid. And people are saying that even on low-spec devices, it's actually performing reasonably well. So that's good. Of course, it is a beta or now a beta, right? Yeah. Um, the controls and shooting seem to be really good. Um, although you're still playing with the touchscreen, which sucks, sucks badly, but whatever. Um, and uh, and I think the big plus here is that I didn't try to sync it up with PC and console. I think that that causes lots of issues and. And some people think that may be a missed opportunity, right? They should have a way of, of quote-unquote cross-platform, like that buzzword. But uh, but then again, you can optimize on mobile the way Call of Duty and PUBG have done over the years, which I think is, frankly, the smarter move. Um, and so far, the network tech looks solid. But again, I don't know how many people are actually playing at any given time. So that may change when the launch happens, right? Um, on the negative side, uh, this seems... Again, much more niche than Call of Duty, right? So as a game, it is more niche by definition almost um, based upon Apex on console and mobile. Um, there's, I, I believe, a lack of bots. And I, I know I need to confirm this, but it doesn't look like it's all player-based, right? So that could get frustrating for new players. That may be a missed opportunity. I'm actually interested in what Adam has to say because he's better at this. Um, and then... Uh, oh, and then for such a core game, this is my biggest concern, is for such a core game, um, it makes sense to, it makes more sense to play on better controls with, you know, console and PC, but that may be just me. Uh, maybe it just, you know, people like to play this stuff on mobile. I, I just don't get it, really, personally. But, um, so my gut is telling me, and this is probably another over-ender but for me and Adam, Adam and I, or whatever, uh, is that this is going to be more like a core select audience and it should lead to potentially lower downloads but better monetization um so i think it could do better than call of duty in the first six months because call of duty had a rough start um but it really feels kind of hard to predict at this stage uh any, any thoughts at all from your your end adam or mishko for that yeah um i i do agree on the bots thing um especially early on when they just don't have matchmaking figured out fully. Right, Geo. Um, yeah. And, mm -hmm. yeah, and just like obviously Call of Duty and PUBG Mobile really lean on those for to get that early retention right. Um, yeah, to make you feel like a badass. I mean, Maybe it's just me. Like, I'm terrible, right? So, But I want to go in and kill fools, right? And if I'm automatically yeah. against like these really fucking sweaty tryhards, I mean, it's not fun, right? Yeah, but this is for a younger audience. Like, like usually these are geared towards the other uh, 20 year and so, so I, I don't know. I've, I've been looking actually, well, surprisingly, I've been looking a lot at mobile shooters and, I, and some of the retention and ARP down numbers. Like Call of Duty and Garena Free Fire Max are, are the outliers. Their retention numbers are absolutely insane. Like we're talking about day one retention for a big, big shooter game at, at 60%. And they get up to D30 at 20%. So these are, these are like, you know, supercell retention numbers. Uh, and the monetization. Uh, Are you getting that from like App Annie or Sensor Tower or something? Yeah, Sensor Tower. Yeah, 
the uh, the and, and I'm talking about US, so I'm, you know, focusing oh, okay, on, on okay, tier okay, one okay. audience. Uh, and and yeah, both both Android and, and iOS. And the monetization, like it's it's not crazy with these games. We're talking about Arab DAO, like ten cents, but with with the retention numbers like that, it's 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 fantastic. So no, no, if stop, Apex stop, can, stop, stop, stop. That mm-hmm. is an incorrect statement. You can say the retention numbers are good, but if the Arp DAO is that low, that's not good, right? You you, you can have one and not the other. But I don't know, Adam. With- you can make a business case out of it. I've, I've been putting them into into um, into my um, excels, and and it's actually a pretty healthy business case. Like I've been trying to put in these type of numbers and and build out uh, what it could look like and how much they're making. It, it, it looks pretty healthy. Like even even with a low low revenue, because you have to assume that the K factor is incredibly high, uh, and that the CPI is quite low. Uh, that's the only K, only way it makes sense. Yeah. So I, I was actually asking Suford about this yesterday, because <laughs> I was I was just putting these numbers in, and I was asking him and and uh, another another guy um actually Filippo who's been he's probably been on this podcast. So both of those those guys are growth. I was asking if is it possible for the K factor to be over two, because when I was putting these in. I couldn't make it work and unless I got a really high virality, so really high amount of organic traffic. And and they said, yeah, it's it's fully possible that they they have the uh, the K factor of over. Now, if if that works, if your CPI is low enough, we're talking about like a dollar to dollar 50 and a K factor is over 1, then then you can make a, a pretty healthy business case. And and retention numbers like that, you can make an extremely incredibly a uh, healthy business case of a billion dollar game with uh, with an ARP DAO. Uh, so what's your question, Eric? Like the the one part about like whether to sync up with PC console, I think in this case is is a technical decision. Like there's just no way they could convince Respawn to make the Apex Legends PC console game also work on mobile. Um, the advantage there is like with Fortnite, when you have an event in Fortnite, then it can carry over to mobile, but that only worked when they actually had mobile versions. Um, the disadvantage here is that you have to scale an entirely different service with its own thing, right? Like Call of Duty Mobile and Call of Duty Warzone are two completely different live services that have to scale completely separately. And I think when you work with somebody like Tencent in this case, um, that works out for them, right? It, it makes it makes it much more feasible to develop. Right. So the, the big pro that I have here is that they're working with Lightspeed and Quantum, right? That they're working with the guys who have built PUBG Mobile. Um, to build this game, right? Um, so there's just like a huge advantage there of, of people that already understand what cosmetics work, um, how to kind of figure this, the retention out early and get the game moving. Um, but in terms of my predictions before, it's still it's going to be slow growth, I think. Yeah. Um, so if you're like, it's going to be more, it, it will probably get lower downloads if you just think about the brand power of Call of Duty versus Apex Legends. Um, and potentially better monetization i don't know about that especially not in the first year i think just based on this model based on what we've seen in terms of rpi curve growth in mobile shooters and the fact this is a very cosmetic driven game with a lot of different characters um i don't know if you you can expect better monetization no no my again my assumption is that you get lower downloads so maybe higher levels of conversion because of of the core yeah, yeah just naturally because of and so the rpi yeah. is it improves relative to the other so higher rpi lower downloads leading to either similar revenue as as call of duty or or higher potentially i mean that was just my gut yeah um and then like the the one pushback i got at, at, at the app annie event was that and i maybe i'm wrong about this and i'm gonna do some work and, and get back to you guys next week is that maybe maybe shooters are not doing as well as i thought i thought they were kind of I, I was thinking of the way the lines of what Nimishka said, like they're still heavily organic and they have like lots of, of broad interest and you don't need to hide It's low CPIs. But this guy was actually, I, I kind of made that comment and he was, he called me out and he's like, are you sure about that? And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, like that was like one of those feedback moments where I'm like, oh my God, I just can't spew this bullshit. I have to actually look, look at this data. So I'll look at it and I'll come back to you next week. But but um, but if that's not the case, if you can't get the organics, you can't get the K factor and all that crap. K factor, you're just meaning multiple of, of pages. Yeah, multiple with, with an acquisition. Okay. But um, um, I just, you know, we'll, we'll see, right? There's a lot of fucking shooters out there, right? And Greena, we talked about this last week, Greena is dying right now. And we don't really know why, right? And so, and, and, and 
and maybe this is part of it. Maybe there's a certain level of fatigue or some people are saying that people are fucking not playing video games anymore. They're going outside and frolicking in the sunshine. I don't know all these kids, but um, so anyway, it's something yeah. I'm, I will look at. It's it, the, the, uh, the organics are, are high. Like, like the, there are games like a, look at Frag, Frag Arena. That's a good example. There's a critical ops. There's a bunch of shooters that that when you start looking at when have they updated their um, their ads the last time, some of them have updated like a year ago. So meaning that they're not really running any ad campaigns. Like Critical Ops is a good example with 100 million downloads and look, still getting a million a month. Look, for the fucking record, okay, I, 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 this is mind boggling to me, this whole thing. And I didn't want to go on this rant today because mm-hmm. I didn't prepare. But it is UA Armageddon out there, right? I don't give a shit what Unity says, what App Lovin says, what Iron Source says. It is a fucking disaster out there, right? And and it's getting worse, and it's going to get much worse over this next year. App Lovin, Unity, and Iron Source are fucked, right? And I I think it impacts everything. It doesn't just impact puzzle or fucking social casino, of which it does. And social casino is completely doomed, right? But it's like everything is getting more expensive to 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 acquire for right and that shouldn't shooters are not eliminated from that notion right and so this is <laughs> so what happened like three months ago or six months ago is fucking irrelevant right it's what mm-hmm. the, the new situation now they remove idfa they remove google's identification they remove fingerprinting how in the fuck are you going to find your audience of, of people that actually yeah. spend money on this shit you know it's going to yeah, be like shooting that's... blanks out there you know and that's why broad, like broader games are, are most likely to succeed better uh, I know, in IPs. But anyways, uh, to conclude the episode, stop dead naming App Annie. It's data AI. So that's one. No, no. I, I got permission to use whatever the fuck I wanted to use. <laughs> okay. Because so, <laughs> I'm never calling so, them data AI because that's a stupid fucking name. And App Annie is what I've known. And I'm old and I can't. I can't well, I can't they, were, they, were prob- they were probably looking at Facebook turning into meta. And they were like, let us <laughs> call us then data. <laughs> no, actually, he, what is it? Uh, yeah, I forgot. The, I have a blank on his name. Yan. Uh, he actually went through the re- reason at the podcast. It makes mm-hmm. sense, right? They want to like become yeah. well to be honest app annie made no sense app annie made zero sense it was the <laughs> stupidest name ever but they had the cutest logo though right yeah uh, well i don't know about that but okay so eric will continue dead naming <laughs> and um and to conclude this also give us that goddamn star it's the spot it's, if you're listening to this on the spotify don't you don't have I, to i still haven't decided yet you don't I have to. you don't have to don't, but but may, check it out there's a maybe you'll get a find a podcast that you like and give that podcast a star I'll give several podcasts a star it's free and um and also register for the live twig by following the link in the description and we love you guys and we appreciate you guys and appreciate all the feedback so on that next week is going to be live twig Awesome. And I'm not on it, right? No. I don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> we're we're reviving right. this out. <laughs> and all, all, all this right. feedback Thanks. that I got is unleash the beast. Is unleash the beast? Yeah. I'm going I'm going hog wild right now. Within my it's lane. Go, it's it's gonna be so bad because Eric is gonna be high on love in uh Istanbul <laughs> doing this live twig, so I'm I'm afraid. So that's why you have to you have to sign up for the uh, for the registration. And um Tickets are out. There's there's no more tickets, but if you are seasuit somewhere, then ping me. Uh, but pretty much that's the uh, that's the only way to get in anymore. So on that note, catch you guys next week.